We're going to attempt another microphone that I haven't used in a while, so hopefully this will go well. And as I try it out, if you'll grab a Bible and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 11, as you're finding it, what unfolds in Romans chapter 11 is a look at God's grand and mysterious purposes. And as we think about it, as you're finding your passage in Romans chapter 11, to get you thinking about God's purposes, I want you to think about your purposes. Um, What are you up to? Why are you alive? Why are you here this morning? If you have a family, why do you have your family? What's the purpose? You who are working, why are you working? What is your purpose? So the things that we do usually have some motivation. And uh, the more clear thinking we are, the more clear we are about our motivation and our purposes. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God has grand and mysterious purposes behind everything that he does, especially his dealings with Israel. So we're just going to look at two verses today, Romans 11, verses 11 and 12. And um, as we prepare to... I want to read, before we read that, I want to read to you where we're going to end up as we look at this very difficult chapter. We're going to end up in verses 33 through 36 of Romans 11, which say this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So what we're going to be seeing between where we stand now, verse 11, and those verses are glorious. And they're going to prompt us to worship, maybe more deeply than we ever have before. So I'd like to pray for us, and after that I'll invite you to stand and we'll read our two verses for this morning. Let's pray. Father, your riches and your wisdom are deep, unsearchable, inscrutable. Your ways are beyond us. We confess that we cannot know your mind. You are divine and we are human. We cannot know your mind except what you reveal to us. No one has been your counselor. We confess that all things are from you. All things are through you. All things are to you. So as we spend just a few minutes really looking at these two verses, I pray that you would Expand our ability to understand you. Or fill in some of the gaps in our understanding of who you are and what you're about. So that we can worship you. So that we can understand ourselves and who we are in light of you. So we can understand history and what you're doing currently in our lives. 
Lord, won't you make this miraculous thing happen this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, would you please stand as an expression of honor as we read Romans 11, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, So I ask, did they, being Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their, will their full inclusion mean? And we're grateful that we have God's Word to study this morning. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now, I refer to God's purposes as revealed in Romans chapter 11 as mysterious. They're grand and they're beautiful, but they're also mysterious. And we're not going to wrap up a whole clear understanding of what he means with just these two verses. This is just to get the ball rolling, or to continue the ball rolling. Uh, And in, in the coming weeks, he'll lay out what his plans are for Israel and what that means for the world. But for now, we have two verses and four things that we know for sure from these two verses. So what I'd like to do, um, I have a simple sermon, so we'll have plenty of time for communion. Just look at these four things that we know for sure and a couple of implications of them. And then we'll turn our focus to the communion table. Deal? You say, as if we had a choice. (laughs) So, thing number one that we can be sure of from these two verses... Israel's stumbling or trespass or failure has purpose. We see that in the first part of the first verse, verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. And then he goes on to reveal that purpose. We've seen how they stumbled and how they've trespassed and how they've failed Earlier at the end of chapter 9, the beginning of verse 10, basically, they refused to accept the gift of righteousness from Jesus Christ, and they insisted on working for it. But they didn't do all that just so they would fall. God's not done with Israel. That's not the end of their story. God has purpose in this. Okay, so that's thing number one. Thing number two that we can know for sure from these two verses. The purpose of Israel's stumbling is to open the doorway for salvation to the world. The purpose of Israel's stumbling or trespass or failure is so that the doorway of salvation could be opened to the world. Jesus tells a parable in the book of Luke, chapter 20. I'm not going to read it right now. You can look at it later. It's in your house-to-house guide. Um, he tells this parable in which he likens Israel to a violently rebellious tenant renting land from an owner. So God's like the owner. Israel is the tenant renting this land, this vineyard. Every time the owner sends a representative to go collect the rent, the tenants kill the representative. So the owner finally says, you know what? Fine. 
I'm going to destroy you, and I'm going to give this land to someone else. Now, he told this parable to the Jewish people, and he's saying, you guys are the tenants. Every prophet that God has sent to you, you have beaten and killed. And now God is saying, I'm going to give the kingdom to someone else. That's us, Gentiles, the rest of the world. At the very end of the book of Acts, Paul says it a little bit differently, but it's basically the same thing. If you look at the very last paragraph of Acts, it's Paul saying that since the Jews, since Israel would not listen to the gospel, we're going to take the gospel to people who will listen, the Gentiles. Now, what Paul is saying here, if it weren't for the failure and the stumbling and the trespass of Israel, we would not have the gospel. We, the Gentiles, the world, would be without hope. So one of God's purposes behind what has happened in Israel is to make salvation available to all of us. Okay, so that's one and two. The third thing we know for sure from these verses, the Gentiles' salvation has even further purpose than just their own salvation. God has even deeper purposes than just for the Gentiles to be saved. Namely, to make Israel jealous. Okay? Is everybody following me? I know this is a little drier than normal because I really want us to have plenty of time for communion, so I'm not illustrating things very much. So you're with me? Okay. So Israel's stumbling had purpose. One of the purposes was so that salvation could be offered to the Gentiles. One of the purposes of salvation being offered to the Gentiles was to make Israel jealous. So let's read where I get that. In verse 11, he says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. That word jealous is a strong word. It's, it's like making someone boil over with desire so they cannot contain their piping hot desire any longer. It, it denotes a lot of closeness, a close relationship between two people, one of which is making the other person extremely, excruciatingly, boiling over, jealous. So the picture is God has basically turned the stove all the way up on Israel by allowing the Gentiles to come into salvation, to make the true Israel's desire for him that much hotter. Does that compute? Does that make sense? So, people who didn't know him at all, the Gentiles now know him and worship him, The people who always did know him now are extremely passionate in their desire for him. The true Israel worships more passionately because God has allowed the Gentiles in. Okay, so those are three things we know for sure. Fourth thing, God has further purposes to reveal. God has further purposes, further riches, further glorious details to this mystery to reveal that have to do with what he, he calls the full inclusion of the, of the Jews. Let me read it as I stumble all over my words. Let me just read what it says in verse 12. Now, if their trespass, the Israelites' trespass, means riches for the world, 
And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? What does he mean by full inclusion? I'm not telling you today. <laughs> because For one thing, I'm still trying to make sure I understand what he means by full inclusion. For another thing, he's not spelling it out in these two verses. He spells it out a lot more uh, in verses 13 and following. But for now, we know for sure that there's more mystery to be revealed. God has more and deeper purposes that he's going to reveal and what he's doing with Israel and the Gentiles in the world. Okay, quick review. The four things. Israel's stumbling has purpose. One of those purposes is so that salvation would be available to the rest of the world, the Gentiles. One of his purposes for making salvation available to the rest of the world, the Gentiles, is to make Israel jealous, make them desire him even more. And fourth, there's more to come. God has more mysterious purposes to reveal regarding Israel and their full inclusion and what that means for the rest of the world. Okay, now, lest you think that this is uh, remote and really unimportant to your daily lives, I have just a couple of implications of this. I mean, I know you guys are coming in here, some of you with crazy things going on in your lives right now. So you're like, well, that's neat. God's got big things in store for Israel. Super cool, neato, but... What am I going to do, you know, tomorrow when I have some giant decision to make? Or what am I going to do with this huge heartache that I'm carrying around with me? So, a couple of implications based on these two verses. Just from these two verses alone, you can tell something about God. We've already established that He is sovereign, that He's in control, that He is the King of this kingdom of reality. But what we see in these two verses shows that he is brilliantly sovereign. In other words, he's not in control like a computer program or a machine. He's in control like a genius artist, like a master, composing the events of individuals and nations for these elegant and complex and multiple purposes. To put it another way, what Shakespeare did with words, God does with the world. What Michelangelo did with paint, God does with people. What Mozart did with sonatas, God does with souls. And in case you guys haven't been reading Shakespeare, looking at Michelangelo and listening to Mozart this week, What Dale Earnhardt did with races, God does with reality. Yes, I just put Dale Earnhardt shoulder to shoulder with Michelangelo, Mozart, and Shakespeare. The chapters of your life are going to make sense one day. Perfect sense. All the brushstrokes of your circumstance and your situations are going to form a beautiful masterpiece. And you're going to see it one day. All the notes of your life combined with everybody else's life in this room and in this nation and in this world and in all of history. It's not just noise. 
God is composing something amazing. So God is brilliantly sovereign. Uh, We also see in these two verses, his purposes are manifold. In other words, he has a lot of purposes. He's not ever just doing one thing. He's too brilliant for that. He's always doing many things, many purposeful things in what he does in your life, in the life of Israel, in the life of the world. You remember the original problem in chapter 9? The basic problem was, how can this be? God's people, Israel, have rejected Jesus. How can that be? Is God just not in control? Is he weak? Was it poor planning? And the answer in chapters 9 and 10 and 11 is just a resounding no, no, no. God is in control. It is not poor planning. It is perfect, sovereign, beautiful planning. And there are many purposes being worked out in Israel's unbelief. So think of your situation. Situations, I know how complicated many of our lives are. Think of the things that you do not understand. Why does it have to be this way right now? Now, maybe you can brainstorm up maybe some purpose God is trying to accomplish through that thing, that circumstance, that situation. So think of that situation and that purpose that you might be able to see. Maybe God has some purpose in this. Now, multiply that purpose by three or four or five or six or who knows. And that's how many purposes God is working out in that situation, in your life. It's not out of control. In the end, God's not going to say, oh, sorry about that. You know, I was over here working with this guy, and I didn't realize you were going through that. My bad. But it's okay now you're in heaven. No, in the end, you're going to say, man, God is glorious and holy. Look at all that he was doing all the while. I had no idea. We're involved in something way bigger than we can comprehend. That's why Paul ends up in this note at the end of the chapter. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? We don't know his mind. But we can see that he has many purposes in what he's doing. It's like, uh, since we already brought up Shakespeare, I don't read Shakespeare, by the way. I'm not trying to act like I'm some super intelligent dude. I couldn't stand it when I had to read Shakespeare. But, you know, all of history says he's amazing, so we'll use Shakespeare. It's like God's Shakespeare, and we're Hamlet. You know, we're in the play. All we see is the page we're on. All we know is, what's my next line? We have no idea what... He's doing out there, composing this life that we're living. But he is out there. He is composing this life that we're living. Okay, last thing. God's purposes are not always revealed to us. We're not always going to know what he's doing. The thing that you thought of, that you're wondering, why must it be like this? You may never know why. Maybe not until the end. And we've got to come to a place where we trust him enough to be okay with that. I read a good example of this 
Uh, I just recently finished reading The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Anybody ever read that? Amazing book. Really, really good. You need to go read it. Corey Ten Boom and, and her sister Betsy found themselves together in a concentration camp during the Holocaust. This isn't light reading. They find themselves in these barracks. And in these barracks, like nine women have to cram into these, um, I guess you call them bunks. They're just flat pieces of board with some old rancid straw scattered on it. And that's where they have to sleep. All crammed on top of each other. Somebody's feet unwashed for months, like two inches from your face. And they get to these, these barracks and they all cram in there to sleep. And they start getting bitten by something. And they realize that it's infested with fleas. How can you endure that? So, Corey and Betsy are Christians. Betsy is like this amazing... God has given Betsy just an amazing dose of the Holy Spirit where she's able to rejoice in even these kinds of circumstances. And Betsy says, we need to pray and we need to thank God for these fleas because the Bible says, be thankful always. And Corey's like, how am I going to thank God for fleas? Why would I thank God for fleas? But they do, they pray and they thank God for the fleas. And then life goes on in the concentration camp for months. And they're Christians, so they're trying to minister to their fellow uh, people in the concentration camp. And they've managed to smuggle in a Bible. If they get caught with this Bible, they'll probably be killed. But they manage to smuggle it in and they start having these covert prayer meetings at night by the one little light bulb that they have. And over time... None of the guards ever come in there. They never get caught. The guards don't even come close. And there's no good reason why the guards wouldn't come close because the guards are always in their face at every other point in the concentration camp, but not in these barracks when they're having their prayer meeting, during which these poor women are receiving you know, the strength they need to go on another day. Well, one day, Betsy overhears a conversation between the guards And can you guess why the guards never come and they're able to have these life-changing prayer meetings? Because of the fleas. The guards didn't want to be in there where the fleas were. Now, Betsy and Corey may have, you know, they could have just as easily never realized that that was one of the purposes God was bringing about through these little fleas. God was gracious and revealed that to them. So your fleas in your life, which I guarantee are nothing like Fleas biting you while you're crammed in with nine other dirty people in a concentration camp. Your fleas have purpose. Maybe God will reveal to you what those purposes are. Maybe he won't. But you can trust that they have purpose. Now we're about to transition into communion. Know that God is sovereign, but he is brilliantly sovereign. I invite you and me to trust him. Specifically, don't just walk out of here saying, I'm going to trust God better. Maybe right now, maybe later today, find a quiet moment. Find something to write with and something to write on and write down specifically where, how you need to trust God more specifically. And I say write it down so that you can keep it. And maybe later you'll come back to it and say, aha, that's what God was doing. I read a story where a woman kept her little 
prayer items, her anxieties. She would write down and put in an old hat box. This was a story that took place a long time ago when women had hat boxes. Maybe you find a box and you just keep them in there. This could be a family thing that you do. As you get anxious, you write it down and you put it in the box. Or you could have a book, a prayer journal that you write it in. Our memories are so bad. This might be helpful to you. Write these anxieties down. Pledge to trust God with these things. And then watch. Wait. Watch it unfold. Like a really complicated book or movie that has all these different plot lines and at the end comes to a really satisfying conclusion. That's what our lives would be like. So I'd like to pray for us, for myself. As I'm praying, um, be preparing your hearts for communion. And then I'll invite the deacons to come forward and we'll observe communion together. Would you bow with me? Father, please reveal to each of us the areas in which we need to trust you. And please enable us to trust you. It's hard for us down here. It's hard for us when we don't know what's next and when we can't see why things are the way they are. It's hard not to be scared. It's hard not to panic. It's hard not to distrust you. But through Jesus, I know that you've given us new hearts that are capable of this kind of faith. Through the Holy Spirit, you've given us power. Lord, please help us to trust you more deeply in specific ways, to be freed from the anxieties, from the concerns. Because we see what you're doing in these two verses with Israel and the Gentiles and the world, and we just have to sit back and marvel that you are amazing. You are worthy of our trust. And now as we turn toward the communion table, please search our hearts. Reveal to us the sin that we may be unaware of, that we haven't confessed and repented of, so that we can confess and repent, so that we can come to these elements with a clean conscience before you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be taking over our minds and our thoughts and our feelings as we spend these quiet moments together reflecting. Help us to remember what Jesus has done for us through these elements. It's in his name we pray. Amen.